Hey, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I am Jeremy Shear, and my guest today is Roxy Elliott, Director of Content Marketing at DigitalOcean, a cloud computing company that provides cloud computing and infrastructure services to small businesses. Roxy, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit, and by little bit, I mean maybe the 30-second version of a little bit about you, your background, and you can say a little bit more about DigitalOcean if you want to. So I've been in marketing for over 10 years now. I started out in sort of traditional communications and PR, but really have always loved writing and editing. So have moved more towards the sort of content marketing realm as that has grown in the past decade. Now I'm at DigitalOcean. We are a cloud computing provider, like you said, in the technology space. And I lead our content marketing team. So we manage our blog, customer stories, guides and white papers and website content. Previously, I was leading our content marketing for a smaller research company um, and have a lot of experience in sort of startup marketing as well. You know, I'm glad you mentioned you worked at a research company because that's kind of our topic today, actually. We want to talk about using original research to create really strong content that that cuts through the noise, that cuts through that dreaded sea of sameness of all the content out there. So that's what we want to talk about. And just to, to contextualize it a little bit, that you guys are not like a massive giant marketing team with a whole team of researchers at your beck and call. You guys have found ways to do original research kind of on a small budget, right? Like in, in maybe kind of unorthodox ways. So let's just get into that. Like what kind of research do you and your team do? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think research is such an interesting strategy for content that not everyone has leveraged. I think it seems sort of intimidating to get into if you don't have a research background or a research team. Um, we do have a research team at DigitalOcean, but for the content side, we actually do our own research. And sometimes we'll go to vendors, research agencies to to help us as well. Um, so we get some help, but we're managing a lot of it from from the actual content marketing team. And yeah, you know, I think the thing about research is that it doesn't have to be super complicated. You know, even a 10-question survey sent out to maybe 500 respondents, or even if it's less than that, can provide really interesting valuable content. And you can always expand on that over time. So you don't have to go out with like having a report every single month, but even doing one report a year that's really speaking to some items your audience might be interested in can provide really unique, interesting, interesting content. Give us an example of a research project that you guys have done, sort of the mechanics of it. Like, how do you come up with the questions to ask? Who do you send it to? And how many people respond to it? At DigitalOcean, we do, we call it our currents, current survey because we have to have everything have an ocean tie-in. Um, so we release that twice a year. And the last one that we did was on sort of developer job trends and challenges that developers are having at the moment. We also looked at some sort of up and coming technologies like blockchain and Web3, sort of getting developer attitudes on what those are. And how we sort of start is we think about what are some areas that we maybe want to learn about and that are trending in the media, you know, in our space. So the Great Resignation has been a pretty big topic really all of this year. So that was one reason we knew we wanted to ask 
a few questions in the last survey that we did about sort of job satisfaction. Have developers left their jobs? Are they looking to leave their jobs? Things like that. And then things like blockchain, you know, have also been just bubbling up in terms of interest. So we added some questions about that too. And yeah, so we really start from there with like a group of a few different topics. And then for each topic might write, you know, three to five questions that sort of get at that topic from different angles or one question might be really broad and then we might dig a little deeper. So you could ask, are you looking to leave your job? You know, and then the next question would be, if you are, you would list out what are some reasons you might be looking to leave your job to give that added context. So I like to sort of start broad and then narrow down when when creating surveys. But there's a lot of great resources for writing survey questions. There are some pretty standard sort of ranking answers that you can use, like strongly disagree to strongly agree on a scale, you know, as one. So we just sort of start from there and then share it with other people in our organization for feedback. And then the respondents, they can really come from anywhere. The last survey that we ran, we sent it out mostly to our community. You know, we have a large email list that we sent it to. I believe we shared it out on our social media and we shared it with some partners too who might have developer groups who would be interested in and contributing. So when you send this out, what kind of responses do you get? How much data are you able to collect? The last one, I think we got over 2,000 completed responses, which is, you know, pretty good. But it depends how big your initial list is, you know, and email, you know, how many people open the email. So it can be a pretty big variety. It also depends if you give an incentive for survey completion, which some people do. Um, for the last one we did, we donated a tree for every person that responded. So we work with a company called Tree Nation that does tree donations for us. So that was the sort of small incentive that we had offered. If you go through an external market research firm, they might offer like a small monetary compensation sometimes or some other sort of credit. So you say you got about 2,000 people to respond out of that. That sounds like a lot. How many people did you send the questions to in the first place? I can't remember, to be honest, maybe 10 times that or, or more, which is pretty typical for a survey. Yeah, there's a pretty high drop off. But as you say, that's probably pretty typical. But you get 2,000 responses and that gives you a good amount of data. And then what's the next step? You get people sending this stuff in. What do you do with the data? We just analyze it ourselves in-house, but you, you know, again, you could outsource it and have a research agency sort of create the insights for you. But because we're pretty close to the topics that we're asking about, I look at the data, you know, my team looks at the data. We use a software that there are lots of survey softwares out there, but, you know, gives you the bar graphs and tables. So you can sort of divide the data by different types of respondents. So you might look at you know, how male respondents are answering differently than female or different job roles may answer differently as well. Go question by question and pull out some of those areas that have really clear insights, you know, so where if there were five, you know, five options in a question, you know, one or two of them are really showing up strongly. So you can tell there's sort of a strong opinion on that question. And then, yeah, we sort of decide these are the key insights that we can tell and then might dig in deeper into those areas. Again, looking at 
how different respondents are answering. Sometimes we include open-ended questions. So you can look at the open-ended responses to get a little bit more context as well. And then, you know, we'll write, write it up and then do some research too into external trends that are happening. So, you know, we saw really high job sort of resignation trends in our last report. So, you know, we looked and we could tell, well, this is an overall industry trend. So we can sort of link it to that. When you said write it up, you mean write it up into the report form that you, and you, I think you said you publish two twice a year. Yep. We typically do a written report that has charts with it as well. And then you publish that report and publicize it. And and what sort of engagement have you been getting with these reports? Yeah, we get really good responses from them. I think both from, you know, we send it out to our own community, again, via email, social media, our newsletters, um, and we get pretty good open rates on that. And then we also get good press coverage, um, which is another reason I find research is really good for cutting through that noise because the media always is interested in actual data they can point to. And if you're trying to sort of be in the thought leadership space, you can get to that. So the media, you know, will cover and maybe write articles and then link back to your report. So it sounds like you got a lot of return on this, on the investment you put into these reports. I mean, it seems like then one of the great values of doing this kind of original research is that it makes for better content because it's original. It's You're not just repeating something you found, but you're actually offering insights you've learned from your own original research. I mean, is is that pretty much the like the core reason to do this? Yeah, I think that is you're sort of more adding to the conversation than just summarizing an existing conversation that may already be out there. You know, I think especially now there's so many blogs and so many websites and B2B content marketing is such a big industry now. So it's hard to just, you know, get to the top of a search result or to really have a piece of content that resonates in the way that maybe it was easier seven or eight years ago when not as many companies were doing content marketing. So I do find it adds value because it's something that no one else is talking about in exactly that way. So you can also just understand, you know, presumably you're researching people who are your audience in your industry. So you just get that secondary benefit of essentially sort of user user research. And we share our survey results with our user research team who does additional research all the time, but they also can look at ours and do extra analysis on it. So sort of mutually beneficial. What would be your advice to marketing teams, especially those who totally see the value of doing research, but just feel like they don't have the time for it? You know, they've never done it. They're not sure how to get started. And they're like, we're already super busy with everything we're doing right now. What would be your response to that? I would say just start small. Like I said at the beginning, you can do even a five-question survey, even a one-question survey. It could get you enough content for one blog post. You know, Start small with doing maybe just one topic. Like the reports that I mentioned, they typically cover multiple topics, but that's not how I'd recommend you necessarily start out if you just want to cover one topic with a few really targeted specific questions about that topic. It doesn't have to take a huge amount more time than the amount of time you would already take sort of researching a topic and writing a high quality blog post. It's really 
can be pretty evergreen content that you can refer back to. So you don't have to just write one blog post about it. You can refer to those stats in future blog posts. You maybe can do a series of articles based on one study that you did because you might get enough data. So I would say, you know, it does take a little time. You do have to learn how to write questions and do some thinking. So maybe the first one, you know, is a little bit more effort than a standard article you might write, but I would say it's definitely worth it in in the long run. And as you build up that process, it just gets easier and easier. So then subsequent reports or surveys wouldn't take as long. Well, you make it sound so easy, but of course it's not easier, right? But it sounds to me like this is just like anything, the first time you do it probably takes a little bit longer uh, and then you get better at it. And, but you know, the way you describe the value, it sounds like something that even if it's adding to your plate, at least initially, it's the value you get is, is really worth it. Definitely. And I think especially for small businesses, you know, if you don't have a big PR budget, for example, like you might be able to get some free media out of a unique report in a way that you wouldn't be able to with another article. Right. And the point being, but in order to get that coverage, you need something unique, something newsworthy. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Roxy, for uh, all these great insights. Great discussion. I had fun. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it, too. I did. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.